the international religious freedom community really has a responsibility to sound the alarm about the possibility of more anti-Muslim violence in Bosnia before it's too late to do anything. Hello and welcome to the USERF Spotlight podcast, a weekly podcast series by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, where we take a deep dive into religious freedom conditions around the world, breaking the situation down for you. Each week, we focus on a different country, region, or topic. Not only do we analyze and explain the religious freedom situation to our listeners, but we also make policy recommendations to the United States government in order to address the immense challenges we bring to light here. Now here is the host of our show, USERF Director of Outreach and Policy, Dwight Bashir, to lead today's discussion. Welcome to USERF Spotlight. Today we're going to focus on troubling developments in Bosnia-Herzegovina, a country in the Balkan Peninsula of southeastern Europe, the scene of some of the worst religious violence in the 20th century, where experts now warn of new and urgent threats to stability. From 1992 to 1995, Bosnia endured a brutal ethno-religious war as Bosnian Serbs ethnically cleansed their Muslim neighbors in the east of the country, besieged the capital of Sarajevo, and committed numerous war crimes, including mass killings and rape, deliberate uh, targeting of civilians, seizure of people's homes, and eventually establishing concentration camps. The 1995 Dayton uh, Accords brokered by the United States ended the conflict and created a unique power sharing arrangement between Serbs, Croats and Muslims, each with their own semi-autonomous political entities, including uh, three separate presidents, all united uh, under shared federal institutions. Unfortunately, this fragile arrangement now appears to be in crisis. And while USERF uh, does not currently recommend Bosnia to be on the CPC list or a special watch list status, we're closely monitoring the situation there and are very concerned about the prospect of renewed violence. We have with us today USERF senior policy analyst Jason Morton to provide context for us and to discuss the religious freedom implications in more detail. Welcome back, Jason. Thank you, Dwight. Well, this is, as you well know, a region with a lot of complex ethnic and religious history that can be difficult to to understand. And it goes back a long time. Can you share with our audience to start off with exactly how long this goes back and why? Sure. It is a really complex uh, history and, and, and place, but it's really important to push back against oversimplistic narratives, uh, particularly about so-called ancient hatreds between these, these people. This, this idea has so long dominated Western coverage of the region. Um, The idea that these groups have always been deadly enemies is not accurate. And in the 1990s, it became an excuse for Europe and the United States to ignore the conflict as something eternal and inevitable that they really couldn't do anything about. Uh, The reality is that the Serb, Croat, and Muslim communities in Bosnia are all ethnic Slavs who speak a mutually intelligible language and share many of the same, same myths, traditions, and culture. More importantly, these communities have coexisted peacefully for much of their shared history. 
interethnic or interreligious conflict has occurred periodically, but it really is the exception, not the rule. And the worst incidents of violence have more to do with modern developments than any so-called ancient feud. The primary difference between the three communities derives from religion and really reveals the intersections between the categories of ethnic and religious, which are sometimes difficult to untangle. Many people know that the Serbs are predominantly Orthodox Christian, while the Croats are Catholic, and the Bosniaks are descendants of Serbs and Croats who converted to Islam after the Ottoman Empire began to conquer the region in the 1300s. And while this certainly led to a degree of cultural difference, mutual suspicion, and even occasional violence, for the most part, these communities have lived side by side peacefully for centuries and historically have much more in common with each other than with their co-religionists in other parts of the world. So periodic violence has been the exception, not the rule. And I think it's important to emphasize that. So indeed, yeah, even if the violence is an exception, though, there's no denying that the horrific episodes of ethnic and religious violence was a real issue uh, in the 20th century, at the end of the uh, 20th century. And obviously the U.S. Uh, spent a lot of time and effort trying to broker uh, that uh, deal in the, in the Dayton Accords. Can you provide some context about how we should understand what's going on today? Yeah, so to understand you know, the modern kind of violence in, in the Balkans, uh, it, it, we have to kind of look back to the early 1800s, uh, mid-1800s, when Serbia became the first Balkan nation to declare independence from the Ottoman Empire um, after a successful armed resistance. Independent Serbia did not contain all ethnic Serbs, and many of them lived in neighboring Bosnia. Uh, and Serbian nationalists increasingly saw themselves as the vanguard of the so-called Southern Slavs, or another word for that is the Yugoslavs, uh, and that they were destined to dominate the they thought they were destined to dominate the post-Ottoman landscape in the Balkans and to establish an Orthodox Christian order there with, with support from Russia. Uh, when, after World War I, the Kingdom of Yugoslavia was created to unite all of the Southern Slavs, Slavs the, the Serbs monopolized institutional power, creating a backlash of resentment, especially among Bosnian, Bosnian Muslims and Catholic Croats. Now, some of these groups took their revenge during World War II, uh, when Croatian elites established a fascist state allied with the Nazis and helped to commit genocide against the Serbs, killing up to half a million of them. And this, this moment, uh, you know, again, World War II really is a critical moment in so many parts of, uh, of the world. Um, this, this killing of the Serbs, more than anything else, set the stage for the tragedy that, that uh, unfolded in Bosnia during the 1990s. So following World War II, Yugoslav communists tried to reduce religion to an ethnic category. And in Bosnia, communists and secular Muslims wanted Muslim identity to develop into something more non-religious, to diminish the distinctions between it and other groups in Yugoslavia. Even still, when Yugoslavia collapsed, Bosnia was the most integrated of all the republics, with a higher rate of inter-ethnic and interfaith marriage than anywhere else. When the country's charismatic dictator Tito died in 1980, this system began to collapse as opportunistic politicians across the board seized on increasingly hostile nationalisms to catapult themselves to power by fueling the fear and resentment of their constituents. So in this context, you know, looking back to things that happened in World War II was uh, you know, very, very uh, 
useful politically for for some for some politicians. Not all Serbs, Croats, or Bosniaks fell under the sway of this rhetoric, but it was ultimately quite seductive, and many did succumb. So Serbian politicians like Slobodan Milosevic stoked fears about a new Serbian genocide, this time where it was supposed to take place largely at the hands of Muslims in Kosovo and Bosnia, who really occupied the poorest and most underdeveloped parts of Yugoslavia. Anti-Muslim rhetoric about a Muslim conspiracy to take over the Serbian heartland, uh, combined with fake news stories about supposed Muslim atrocities against Serbs, and created an atmosphere of public of popular hysteria, which accelerated both the breakup of Yugoslavia and helped to fuel the barbarity of the ensuing war from 1992 to 1995. Great, thank you. Very helpful for that uh, context and bringing us to present. Um, so this leads us to the question, you know, how, how has this uh, troubling, complicated history influenced the present situation? And what are specifically uh, the implications for freedom of religion or belief in the country with these renewed tensions surfacing? Yeah, so on November 2nd of this year, Christian Schmidt was the international high representative in Bosnia charged with implementing the 1995 Dayton Peace Accords. He submitted a report to the UN Security Council stating that the country is currently facing its biggest existential crisis since the end of the conflict in 1995. And he warned that the prospect of future conflict was, quote, very real. Uh, The immediate impetus for this was a a series of threats by Milorad Dodik, who is the leader of the Bosnian Serb entity, uh, that one of the entities that makes up Bosnia, uh, known as the Republic of Srpska. Uh, And he threatens to bar Bosnian police, intelligence, and judicial officials from his territory and to set up parallel institutions, you know, essentially mirroring the policies of the Bosnian Serbs leading up to the war in 1992. Most alarmingly, uh, Dodik plans to or threatens to withdraw Serbian soldiers from the Bosnian army and form a separate Bosnian Serb military. And this would effectively represent the revival of the same military force responsible for anti-Muslim atrocities during the war. A whole generation uh, has grown up since these events, so it is important to remember just how bad they were. The Bosnian Serb army besieged the capital of Sarajevo for almost four years in the early 1990s, uh, trapping Muslim citizens inside and indiscriminately shelling them or killing them with sniper fire. Of the nearly 14,000 people killed in that siege, more than 5,000 of them were civilians. The Bosnian Serbs ran rape camps filled with Muslim women and girls, concentration camps where civilians starved to death. And in the town of Srebrenica shot to death more than 8,000 Muslim men and boys and forcibly deported a much larger number of of women and girls. Uh, Muslims were ethnically cleansed from the territory that now comprises Republika Srpska. Their mosques were destroyed, their homes were occupied by ethnic Serbs. According to Bosnia's Islamic Union, 614 mosques, 218 prayer rooms, as well as numerous other buildings uh, were destroyed. 80% of the 1144 mosques in Bosnia presently were destroyed or damaged, and often their materials were used to build Orthodox churches. Yeah, those, those reminders are very stark in remembering the horrors uh, of that time and how systematic uh, that process was. 
Um, but you, but you know, when you first started uh, in responding here, you, you you touched on some of these worrying developments. What is behind this renewed uh, aggression on the part of the Bosnian service? Can you provide some insight there? One of the most alarming aspects of these recent moves is that they are motivated uh, really by a denial of the genocide that I just described, and they occur alongside a glorification of Bosnian Serb war criminals like the, lead, the Bosnian Serb leader Radovan Karadzic and Ratko Mladic, the officer who orchestrated the siege of Sarajevo and the massacre in Srebrenica. Murals dedicated to, to Mladic and others have proliferated across Republika Srpska with the support of local politicians. Mladic's hometown welcomes visitors uh, with a huge portrait of him saluting under a slogan that says City of Heroes. And Dodik, who is the current uh, leader of Republika Srpska, has been obstructing federal institutions uh, and threatening to withdraw from them for years. His recent escalation, you know, which really is encapsulated in his threat to revive the Bosnian Serb army, is in direct retaliation for a decision by High Representative Schmidt to criminalize denial of the 1995 genocide in Srebrenica. So Dodik and other Serbian nationalists are adamant that Srebrenica and other well-documented war crimes are merely fabrications created by Bosniaks and international officials to discredit the Bosnian Serbs. Uh, in September 2021, a monument to peace was erected in Srebrenica without any reference to the massacre of Muslims that took place there in a deliberate whitewashing of the town's recent past. And that town exists within the, the, the entity of Republika Srpska. Um, a July 2021 report by the Balkan Investigative Reporting Network determined that multiple grave sites around Srebrenica, which is inside, as I said, the Republika Srpska, have not been protected and in some cases are even used to dump garbage. Um, the Bosnian Serb government actively interferes in memorialization efforts, and many grave sites are known only to a few locals or family members. In February 2021, uh, prosecutors in the Bosnian Serb capital of Banja Luka dropped their investigations into the destruction of six local mosques and refused to acknowledge these acts as war crimes. Uh, the Islamic community of Bosnia-Herzegovina say their formal complaints about this have been rejected by Bosnian Serb officials as unfounded. So really this, this kind of long-standing policy of denying war crimes and genocide is, is the catalyst for, unfortunately, this, this renewed political tension. Yeah, indeed. And unfortunately, when you're glorifying convicted war criminals, <clears throat> it, it, it clearly isn't going to result in anything positive. Um, can you tell us, um, I guess, to this stage, how has the United States government responded so far to these developments, seeing that there's been a ramping up over time, even this year? And what can the U.S. government and international community do going forward to help prevent another outbreak uh, of this religious violence and uh, clearly then result in severe uh, religious freedom violations? One of the most obvious things that can be done is to increase awareness about the crisis, you know, like we're trying to do today. Uh, the issue has been gradually developing for years, uh, but it's been largely ignored or downplayed. And this is also a factor in, you know, recent recent events. The, the fact that the international community has been largely ignoring this up until recently has only emboldened Dodik and his uh, contemporaries 
And they're confident uh, of support from fellow nationalists in countries like Hungary, Viktor Orban, or from Vladimir Putin of Russia, as well as increasing Chinese interest uh, and investment in the region. So they this this sense that they have other friends who don't call them to, to task on these um, historical issues or denying the genocide, you know, they they feel that this that this enables them to to kind of continue in that path. Uh, thankfully. The, the lack of international attention is changing. The U.S. government and the international community are starting to take the issue seriously. On November 7th, the U.S. Deputy Assistant Secretary of State, Gabriel Escobar, traveled to Bosnia and conveyed our government's commitment to Bosnian territorial integrity. On November 14th, Secretary Blinken sent a letter to Dodik warning him of serious consequences if he carries out his, carries out his threats, including possible sanctions on the Republic of Serbska. Um, Dodik has apparently responded to this question of sanctions very recently, sort of mocking it and saying he doesn't worry about it because he could just turn to China. Um, if the Bosnian Serb entity were to secede from Bosnia and establish a state based on the denial or glorification of Muslim genocide, this would certainly warrant uh, more and, and, and frequent attention from, from users. Uh, since the Bosnian catastrophe, there have sadly been many more examples of anti-Muslim genocide, such as against the Uyghurs in China and the Rohingya in Burma. The international religious freedom community really has a responsibility to sound the alarm about the possibility of more anti-Muslim violence in, in Bosnia before it's too late to do anything about it. Well, thank you uh, for uh, laying this out uh, today. Uh, we'll have to leave it right here, but uh, we certainly hope that the situation is resolved sooner than later and peacefully and doesn't give us uh, cause for uh, deterioration of religious freedom conditions in the near term. Uh, I want to thank Jason uh, Morton for uh, sounding the alarm here on uh, USERF Spotlight today and hopefully uh, we see some progress. Uh, we'll continue to monitor developments and speak out, including highlighting any policy recommendations as necessary. And that'll do it for today. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on USERV Spotlight. To learn more about USERF and about global religious freedom concerns, visit usurf.gov. That's U-S-C-I-R-F dot gov. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at USCIRF. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week for another USERF Spotlight.